You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. As we start a new year, I want to speak to you this morning on a topic that has been on my heart for some time. I want to talk to us about friendships, specifically about the power our friends have in our lives. They have the power to help us walk closer to the Lord. They also have the power to harm our lives and to lead us down paths that we don't want to go. You know, most of us choose our friends simply by proximity. You know what that is, right? We choose our friends because they're the person that happened to sit next to us in algebra class. Or we choose our friends because they're our coworkers and we see them every day. Or we choose our friends because, well, they're our neighbors. They live next door. Or our kids play on the same ball team. I want to suggest to you today that this is not the best and wisest way of choosing your friends. Because, guys, friends play a powerful role in our lives. Psalm 13, verse 20 says, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. To a large degree, our choice of friendships will determine the paths that our lives travel. Even if you're a devoted Christian today, you can be influenced for evil simply because of the foolish choices that you've made in friendships. Now, in contrast to the foolish friends that we can make, our godly friendships can have a, be a powerful effect in our lives. Proverbs chapter 27, 17, a very famous verse says, As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friends. Man, next to the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life and, and the power that God's Word speaks into my life, nothing influences me stronger than my friends. And here's my question to you this morning. Are you making wise decisions when it comes to the friends that you've chosen to walk through life with? Are you being intentional in the way that you choose your friends and your companions? This morning, I want us to tackle this topic of friendship. And to do so, we're going to look at one of the strongest friendships that's found in the Bible. And that, of course, is the friendship between David and Jonathan. Our story is found in 1 Samuel chapter 18. Now, let me give you a quick outline of where we're going in our study today. First, we're going to look at the relationship between David and Jonathan. And we're going to identify the two main ingredients that made their friendship, their godly friendship, so strong. And then we're going to examine the relationship between David and King Saul. And there we're going to find three toxic ingredients that will destroy any friendship. You know, it's interesting that both Jonathan and his father, King Saul, they were both in a unique position to be threatened by David. When we pick up the story here in, in chapter 18, King Saul has been rejected by God as king over Israel. His disobedience toward God had disqualified him 
from being in the position of king over God's people. Jonathan was the would-be heir to the throne if the dynasty of Saul continued. And so David and Jonathan had every reason to be enemies, not friends, much less the close friends that they're going to become. So the question is, why did their friendship develop into such a strong bond? That's what we're going to look at first this morning. Look at verse 1. Now, when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan, he being David, when, when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as he loved his own soul. Let's get some background here first to our story. If we go back to chapter 17, we find that David kills that giant Goliath. And in doing so, he instantly becomes a national hero. And we see at the end of the chapter, him carrying around the severed head of Goliath, the fallen giant. And I love this picture. David's kind of like the, the player who's just won the big game, you know, and he's toting around the trophy, showing off. Well, this is David, man. He's toting around his trophy, this chopped off head of Goliath. Well, following the victory, David is quickly called before the king. Now, I want you to know, Saul knows David to a small degree. Remember, David has been in the courts of Saul playing his music before the king in order to calm him. Ever since Saul had disobeyed God and had refused to repent, the Bible tells us that he has been tormented by a, an evil spirit. And David's music had this calming effect on Saul's life. But now this young man has done something that Saul was afraid to do. He's gone out and he's fought the Philistine. And David won. And this meant instant praise and adoration from the people of Israel. And that was the very thing that King Saul desired most for himself. The king desperately wanted the approval and the praise of the people of Israel. But David's act of bravery, it had caused him to be elevated above the king in the eyes of the people. And as we'll see, this doesn't bode well for the relationship between David and King Saul. And yet, Jonathan's reaction to David is totally different. Notice the verse tells us that Jonathan's soul or his heart was knitted to the soul or the heart of David. A connection of friendship had developed between these two young men. Now, certainly this wasn't the first time they had met either. They had probably known each other for some time while David was hanging around the palace or the house of Saul. Yet now, the boldness of David in fighting and killing Goliath had caused Jonathan to see a different side of David. It was a boldness that Jonathan could relate to. See, Jonathan could see in David something that he did not see in his father. It was a heart to defend and to follow and to serve the God of Israel. It was a boldness to obey God even when it involved great risk. See, this was a trait that both Jonathan and David shared. 
If you go back to chapter 14, and you can read it later, you'll see the exploits of Jonathan. You'll see in him that same boldness and faith that David had shown in fighting Goliath. For there in chapter 14, Jonathan goes out all by himself, and he attacks the garrison of the Philistines. He's greatly outnumbered, and yet he too experiences victory over his enemies in an act of boldness, in an act of faith. Guys, the first ingredient of a godly friendship is the knitting together of two hearts around a shared love and commitment to God. That may be the single most important ingredient in any Christian friendship. The Hebrew word here translated knitted, it literally means to bind two things together or to weave two things into one. Think about the little old lady, and this is what I always think about if you're a knitter, I'm sorry, but I always think of the little old lady sitting in a rocking chair, you know, knitting the sweater for her grandchildren. Well, that's sort of what God is doing in the life of David and Jonathan. God is knitting their lives together. And guys, friends whose hearts are knitted together, they share a connection because they're both headed in the same direction. You take two Christian brothers or sisters and you, you bind their lives together. They're both going after God. They're both seeking the Lord. They have the same purpose. They have the same priorities in their lives. They share the same values and the same commitments in their lives. And this type of friendship is one that provides strength and accountability for us. When two friends pull together in the same direction, they don't fight against each other in their devotions of their heart. See, that's what's happening when you choose your friends wrong. Your friends are fighting against the very thing in your life that God wants to do. For every one of us, the spiritual progress that we make in this new year will be largely determined by the friends that we hang around with. I cannot overstate this truth, guys. Let's read Proverbs 13, 20 again. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be what? Destroyed. The New Testament version of this idea of this truth is found in 1 Corinthians 15, 33. There, Paul writes, do not be deceived Evil company corrupts good habits. Or I like the way the NIV puts this verse. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. This past year, were you keeping good company or bad? Did you share with your friends a passion for the Lord? Or were your companions, the people you chose to hang out with, were they constantly pulling you down? Were they dragging you away from the purposes and the will of God in your life? Look at verse 2. Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. The second ingredient of a godly friendship is that their relationship, their friendship is built on a covenant. Now remember what a covenant is. A covenant is simply an agreement that two people make with each other. In a covenant friendship, 
agreements are made, some spoken, some unspoken. There's an agreement about how you're going to treat each other. There's an agreement that honesty and fairness will be the backbone of your friendship. There's an agreement that you'll not intentionally hurt each other or harm each other in some way. And as that friendship grows and matures, the greater the spoken and unspoken agreements between two people become. Ultimately, the love between two friends grows to the greatest commitment. You remember Jesus told us what that was. He said, greater love has no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. This is the ultimate agreement that we make between Christian friends. That we would be willing to sacrifice our lives or maybe just our well-being or maybe just what we want for the other person. See, this was the covenant relationship between Jonathan and David. You know, it's interesting. Later in this story, Jonathan would risk his own life to save David's life. One other important trait of a covenant friendship is that it is a give and take relationship remember a covenant is an agreement between two people covenant friendships are never one-sided you ever been a part of a one-sided friendship one where all you do is give and give and give and very little is given in return guys ultimately these kind of friendships they don't last or they don't really develop see in true friendships, both friends have to be givers in, in the relationship in order for it to grow. If only one person gives, the other simply becomes a leech, latched onto their life, taking but never giving. And that is not friendship. A friendship that's one-sided will never last. Remember the words of Jesus they're quoted by Paul in Acts chapter 20, verse 35. Paul there says, And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, now I want you to understand the context of this verse. Paul is speaking to the Ephesian elders. And he is describing how he has treated the people there in the church at Ephesus. He always worked while he was there in Ephesus. You know why? Because he never wanted, he always wanted to make sure that he gave to the people of Ephesus more than he ever took from them. What a great thought. I believe this is the secret to having good friends. Always make sure you're giving to the relationship more than you're taking from it. This is the essence of covenant Christian friendship. Let's look at the giving heart of Jonathan for a moment. Look at verse 4. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him, and he gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. Now, in an act of true friendship, Jonathan gives to David his armor and his sword. He even gives him his belt, almost gives him his whole outfit. The reason being is because David is about to be promoted by King Saul to lead men into battle. And yet David was a poor shepherd. He wasn't a warrior. He wasn't equipped to lead men. He wasn't equipped for battle. He had no sword. He had no armor. Thus, Jonathan equips David for the battles that he's about to face. 
He gives to David the equipment that he'll need to succeed in the new challenge that's right ahead of him. He gives David what he needed, not what was convenient or easy for him to give. Guys, Jonathan's gift to David this day was sacrificial. And most importantly, Jonathan looked at David and said, I know what you need and I'm going to make sure you have it. A covenant friend gives gifts that are both sacrificial and gifts that are needed. Not just what's easy for us to give. And I think a lot of us treat our friendships that way. Oh, we give, but what do we give? Well, we give away what we don't want, what we don't need, what's easy for us. This is the really selfless part of all that Jonathan is equipping David with. Notice, Jonathan is equipping David to take his place on the throne of Israel. Jonathan is is certainly aware that if David succeeds, if David becomes strong and powerful, Jonathan will never be the king. That is what I call sacrificing for your friend right there. Look at verse 5. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. And Saul set him over men of war and he, accepted, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Now it happened as they were coming home when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistines that the women had come out from all of the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. So the women sang as they danced, and they said, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Who did David have to thank for his victories in battle? Oh yes, surely God had prepared him and equipped him. But so had his friend Jonathan. Jonathan was the one who had supplied him with the weapons and the tools that he would need to succeed. And yet, and this is important, nobody's praising Jonathan. Jonathan's not even mentioned as the women say, hey, look at Saul, look at David. But no mention of Jonathan. Jonathan is quickly taking a back seat to the popularity of David. And what is Jonathan's reaction? Well, it's the same reaction that John the Baptist had to the rising popularity of Jesus. You remember John the Baptist before Jesus came on the scene. John was the preacher that everyone wanted to go out and see. His popularity was booming. And then Jesus arrived on the scene. He's baptized by John. And from that moment on, John's message and popularity began to fade. Jesus had arrived, and John's job was all but done. And that's when John uttered the most amazing words of humility and meekness that were ever ordered. In John chapter 3, verse 30, John says about Jesus, He must increase, but I must decrease. And here, thousands of years earlier, this was the understanding of Jonathan. 
he had come to grips with the fact that David was destined to be king. And so he accepted that reality that David's light was going to shine bright or that the light of popularity was going to shine brighter on David than it was ever going to shine on him. And I believe this is one of the most challenging parts of friendship. It happens when one person begins to be elevated above another. And yet what made the friendship between David and Jonathan work was the fact that Jonathan did not allow himself to be jealous of the popularity and success of his friend David. Guys, how do you handle your friendships when the brighter light begins to shine on the other person? What do you do when you realize that they're going to get the accolades and the praise that you once hoped were coming your way? Are you able to say to your friends, You must increase, and I must decrease. Guys, what an amazing friend Jonathan was to David. Wouldn't we all just like to have one friend like Jonathan who is so selfless that they can celebrate our victories with us? Guys, only friends who are serious in their walk with God are able to step aside and celebrate the victories of their friends. Can you do that? Have you been able to do that this year? Maybe you were hoping that it was going to be your time to shine, but but no, that other person in the office is getting the promotions and the praise. That other friend of yours, is things are just going great in their lives, and are you able to celebrate? Oh, to have a friend like Jonathan. But this was not the case with King Saul. Let's finish out our study today looking at the reaction of King Saul to these same events. And here we're going to see three attitudes that I promise you will kill any friendship. Verse 8, Then Saul was angry, and the saying displeased him, and he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, And to me, they have ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? In King Saul, we see three attitudes that guarantee unhealthy friendships and unhealthy relationships, even within the church. A friendship or a relationship is doomed to failure when you see these three things. Jealousy, suspicion, and fear. All three of these attitudes of King Saul that we're going to look at are in sharp contrast to the attitudes that we've just seen in Jonathan and David and in their their covenant friendship that they developed. They had commitment. They had trust. They sacrificed for each other. And yet in Saul, the first attitude that we see is the attitude of jealousy, and it will certainly destroy friendships. Look back at verse 8. They have ascribed to David... Ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? Saul hated sharing the spotlight with anyone. And here is this young shepherd boy from Bethlehem, this nobody who has stolen the spotlight from him. And this is more than the king can stand. See, for Saul... 
Life was all about him. He had to be the center of attention. And guys, let me say to you, it is very difficult to have close friendships when everything in life has to be about you. Jealousy will destroy a friendship probably more quickly than anything else. See, for the jealous person, there's no room in their life for anyone else. Why? Because everyone else becomes a rival. Everyone else becomes the competition. And in a life like that, there's no room for a friend, not a close friend. Again, I find it fascinating that Jonathan was never jealous of David. It, at least it's not recorded in the Scriptures. And everything he does shows that he's not jealous. David was going to keep Jonathan from sitting on the throne of Israel. You have to ask the question, how did he avoid feeling these feelings of jealousy? I think there's only one way. Jonathan didn't care who was king. It didn't matter to Jonathan who was in the spotlight or who was promoted. He only wanted to see the will of God done. And if that meant David sitting on his throne, then okay. If that meant David getting the songs written about him, then so be it. Guys, this is one of the most incredible acts of faith in the Scripture. And it all happens in the context of friendship. Jonathan had seen the failures of his father. He's certainly aware of the judgment Samuel had announced on the dynasty of Saul. God had chosen someone else to rule, and Jonathan accepted that fact. He accepted what God had declared. But there was absolutely no room for David in Saul's world. He was going to fight the promotion of David to the very end, every step of the way. And again, it is really difficult to have friends when the spotlight of your world must be on you. So look at verse 9. So Saul eyed David from that day forward. Our second attitude that will kill any friendship is that of suspicion, paranoia, distrust. I like the way the New American Standard translates verse 9. It says, And Saul eyed David with suspicion from that day on. I think that translation better captures the idea of the text here. From that day on, Saul was suspicious of David. He was paranoid of David's motives. He was paranoid of David's movement. David's presence in the palace from then on out, created this uneasy feeling on the part of Saul. Every time David, Saul looked at David, his mind would start wondering what devious thing David was up to. How was he plotting to take over my kingdom? Every action of David came under Saul's scrutiny. But here's the question. Was David plotting to take over Saul's kingdom? Absolutely not. Few men have ever been more loyal to King Saul than was David. But Saul couldn't believe that someone could be that loyal to him. Why? 
because Saul himself would never be that loyal to anyone. And if given the opportunity to steal the kingdom back from David, Saul would take it. Saul was seeing David through the lens of his own warped character. He he imagined in David what was present in his own life. You see, the only person Saul was loyal to was Saul. And he could only assume that that was the case for everyone else. He assumed everyone else must think the way I think. You know, I believe this is a true statement. We all assume others think and feel the way we do, especially when it comes to our weaknesses and our failures. Suspicion is the enemy of friendship. When you assume those around you are out to get you, you will keep everyone at arm's length distance. Why? Because it's just not safe for you to let them to get close. The opposite of suspicion is what? It's trust. When it comes to friendship, let's define trust this way. Trust is the belief that someone will not intentionally hurt you. Now notice I said not intentionally hurt you. Because we're all going to get hurt from time to time, guys. We live in a fallen world that's full of fallen people. And sinful people hurt each other. We've known that many, many times. We've seen it many times. But that doesn't mean that we're all a threat to each other. And can you see the difference? See, I may hurt your feelings from time to time. I may be insensitive and, and totally uncaring at times. But that doesn't mean I'm out to get you. It simply means I'm human and I make mistakes. If you only want friends who will never hurt you or disappoint you, you will never have any friends. In a fallen world, even the best friends must work through hurt feelings and pain and troubles and arguments. Should I go on? See, the best friends have learned that the most important practice in their friendship is to forgive each other on a regular basis. If you've got a successful marriage, you already know that. If you've got a close friend, you know that. But, listen, needing forgiveness is different from being a threat. Do you see that? Look at verse 10. And it happened on the next day that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul and he prophesied inside the house. So David played music with his hand as at other times. But there was a spear in Saul's hand and Saul cast the spear for he said, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped from his presence twice. Now Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but he but had departed from Saul. Therefore Saul removed him from his presence and made him his captain over a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. 
And David behaved wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Therefore, when Saul saw that he behaved wisely, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. The final attitude that Saul carried towards David that was destructive was the attitude of fear. And it will always destroy a friendship. Twice we see the Bible telling us that Saul is afraid of David. Verse 12, now Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him. Verse 15, therefore when Saul saw that he behaved wisely, he was afraid of him. When you're afraid of something, you stay away from it. When you're afraid of someone, you stay away from them. See, fear always creates distance. Listen, if you're afraid of water, you're going to stay clear of the beach. If you're afraid of spiders, you're not going to go climbing down around your crawl space in your basement. If you're claustrophobic like me, you're never, ever going spelunking. You know, climbing down in those small holes in the ground, that is absolutely insanity to me. I do not understand to any degree why anyone would want to do that. You know, I stay far away from caves as I possibly can. I don't even close the door when I go into my closet. I mean, I do not like cramped spaces. And listen, if you're afraid of people, you're going to stay away from them if you can, as far away as you can. Now, now some of you are afraid of people for good reason. At some point in your life, you got really hurt by them. You got betrayed by someone you thought you could trust. You let someone get close, and they shared your secrets. They made fun of your weaknesses. They used you as the punchline of their jokes. You trusted someone in the past, and you got burned. And if that's you this morning, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look around. Go ahead, look around at the other people. Listen, everyone you're looking at this morning, I promise you, has had that same experience in their life. There is no one in here who has not been betrayed at some point, who has not been devastated by someone they thought they could trust. If you choose to love, you will get hurt. Loving is risky business. If you put yourself out there often enough, someone is going to take advantage of your love sooner or later but that doesn't mean that you stop loving. John tells us in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, perfect love casts out fear. Sometimes, guys, when you're afraid, you just have to keep on loving. Love, it's God's cure for the fear of people. Is there someone you're afraid of this morning? Are you afraid of them because you feel like they're a threat to you? Are you afraid of them because you think they might steal your position or your power? See, that's what Saul was afraid of. Saul was afraid of David because he saw something in David that he did not see in himself. And he was afraid because of that. Saul was, he was, he was afraid of David for all the wrong reasons. David was no threat to Saul. But David had something that Saul lacked. 
Are you afraid of others because you see in them something that you lack? And that you think that if I get close to them, it'll only be more evident that I have this flaw in my life. It'll only be more evident that I lack this in my life. Listen, if that's you, maybe that old friend jealousy is raising its ugly head in your life. Because, see, jealousy was the root of Saul's fears. If Saul could get beyond the jealousy, he could get beyond the fear. Let me encourage you this coming year that you don't let fear or suspicion or jealousy keep you from making and developing and building some strong, godly friendships with the people in this room or the people in your Bible study or the people that you're fellowshipping with. These might be the very friendships that help you in 2022 remain faithful and fruitful to the work that God wants you to be involved in this coming year. Because like I said at the very beginning, nothing will have a stronger influence in your life this year than the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. But then it is your friends that you choose to hang out with. So there's three main points I want you to carry away from this morning's message. First, friendships are not easy. They take time, they take sacrifice, and they take commitment. And if you want strong friendships, you've got to be willing to work for them because they will require work. Second, the friends you choose will determine to a large degree the direction your life will go this year. Choose them wisely. Yoke yourself to friends that are going in the same direction you want to go. Okay, yoke yourself to them. Tie yourself to them. Say, hey, I I like where you're going. I want to go with you. Forty years ago, I met Pastor Sandy. And I quickly realized something. He's going in the direction that I want to go in. So you know what I did? I yoked myself to him. I said, I want to be his friend. I want, to, I want to hang with him. It's been a good decision. About 45 years ago, I met, well, it's probably been more like 50 years ago, I met Donna, and I saw the same thing. That's my wife, by the way, for those of you who don't know me. I said, I got to yoke myself to this woman. I like the direction she's going in. Good decisions, guys. Choose your friends wisely. And then third, don't undermine your friendships with jealousy and suspicion and fear. Guys, be a Jonathan. Want what's best for your friends, even when it means a little less for you. And trust me, you will never, ever regret that decision. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor James Chapman. If you enjoy the message, you can access more Pastor James' teaching ministry by visiting calvarycsm.org.